0: Welcome to our Twitter space today. This is our first Twitter space with the CFO. It's about breaking down banks' earnings. So for perspective, every company has a financial year, and the financial years are broken down into four quarters in a year. Banks are supposed to report at least every quarter. The first quarter ended in March, the second quarter ended in June 30th, and the next quarter ended in uh, September 30th. What we're doing is to host CFOs and management teams after the earnings calls. Then we are able to look at the results and also be able to explain what are the key numbers and how they've changed over time. Today, we are really lucky to have the CFO of Bank of Kigali, the BK group. We're going to dive right in and welcome her. Natalie, you can say hi and tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you're in Nairobi, so you can say how you're finding Nairobi.
1: Thank you, Mokaya and the Mwanga Capital team for hosting the call. Yes, you're right. I'm very happy to be taking this call today from Nairobi. A beautiful city, as you know, very busy. And the traffic has been quite nice to us, to be honest. We've had a couple of good meetings since yesterday. And the weather and everything and the people have been quite lovely. So I'm um, having a good time. Thank you.
0: All could right. we'll start off by asking maybe you can tell us a little bit about your journey so far that led you to being CFO of BK Group for six years now.
1: Thank you. That's a good one. When I look about my journey so far, it's been one that I would say has been quite successful. So you look at uh, starting my career just over a decade ago in the UK when I finished my studies. So I've always been passionate about financials. I graduated in uh, accounting and finance and pushed uh, for first class degree. Was recruited immediately after university and mostly worked in accounting and finance in um, retail and uh, ledger companies before returning home in 2011. Since then, I've worked with Bank of Kigali, first joined the bank when Bank of Kigali IPO'd. So we listed on the Rwanda Stock Exchange in 2011, September, just as I was joining. It was quite interesting to start with the journey of being a a listed entity. So now we're something of a focus back then, investor relations and so forth. And that's how I started with the bank. It has been very uh, happy days, I would say, when you look at the journey, going into uh, more numbers as the CFO, course listing in Nairobi and so forth. So it has been a a couple of capital ways and a lot of learning uh, along the way in terms of perfecting uh, my passion for numbers.
0: Maybe you can tell us a little bit what it takes to be a CFO. What does a CFO do and how does your day-to-day look like and what's usually the typical journey to being a CFO?
1: Typical day-to-day for me would be looking at, first of all, what is it that you own? So what is your assets and who do you owe it? You know, where did you get it from and where the liabilities will come from? So you have the management and maximization of the financial part. Where do you place your asset to get as much as you can because you need to pay it back at some point to the People who gave you these assets. So, they generally on the liability side for a typical uh, bank, you'd have the customer deposits or the bank deposit, and then you have your shareholders equity. So, having good management around your your asset, which is cash and loans, typically for a bank, will give you the profitability that is required to pay to manage the human part, which is your suppliers, your regulators, and various stakeholders and staff being one of the key. One on your profitability statement, returning now um, good returns to the shareholders who are long-term investors. So you look at management of people and management of financial risk, making more uh, what you have and making sure you gain uh, more customers and retain market share your day-to-day. So strategy management at the CFO level, but in terms of finance perspective, you need to look at Every penny counts, so who do you pay it to and where is it coming from? Are you doing the best you can to manage risk in terms of fraud and errors and so forth?
0: One thing that I know is that banks are some of the very highly regulated entities in the world. Central banks are always paying attention to what you own, who you owe. So cash flow management is also a very integral part of that. So why are banks held in that high regard? At the same time, why are they very highly regulated? In your day-to-day, how does that look like in terms of making sure that people's deposits are actually kept well?
1: It's highly regulated because of the importance of financial systems in our economy. So when you look at movements, of funds without strong regulations you would have a lot of risk so there will be no sustainability so you're looking at uh, long term it's really working with various players so that would be mostly global players to manage you know how do you regulate a market especially ours that is quite young so you are looking at gdp banking asset to gdp is still uh, is growing fast but it's still lower than you look at developed uh, market so regulation is a big part. So central bank will come in very closely monitoring, of course, any weaknesses would be signaled by complaints. You'd have system failures that will signal a higher level of risks. But generally, a successful company like BK Group will generate more cash in its daily operations, invest it in various instruments that will be you know, securities and hold good relationship with other banks to hold any other required level of liquidity that the central bank will put in place. Other key regulators will be the likes of revenue authorities. Are you paying your taxes on time? Are you complying? And, of course, the suppliers are also very important stakeholders because they offer us various services and uh, deliver goods to us. And if they are not uh, managed efficiently uh, then you have the reputation risk and also delays in your operating activities so the kind of daily operations and management on the finance level
0: what have you learned in the process of being a cfo of a bank how is that different from the kind of institutions that you've worked with before
1: Thank you. I would pretty much say that uh, for finance, all industries will be different and they'll have characteristics that are different. When you look at, let's say, a leisure or retail uh, sector with a banking, because banking, you're managing more. The biggest asset will be loans. Where for others will be different. Generally, for numbers, it's always about what you own, which is your asset, and who do you owe it to, and the liability. And you have income, expense. And your profitability. So it cuts across all industries. You will manage your asset very well to generate uh, as much as you can from your asset in terms of income. You will efficiently manage your expenditures so that you know any excess uh, or any inefficiencies uh, are not within your day to day operations. And then you return highest uh, return to the owners of the company who are the shareholders in terms of capital. And then it means you continue to reinvest um, the capital that uh, they have trusted you with. So it's generally the same across industries, just that the types of assets or liabilities that you are managing will be specifically different. The regulators will be different in various sectors. But you're looking at in terms of finance, you know where your assets are. In terms of identification, if you have a vehicle, you know where it is and where it came from. It means you owe money to a supplier, you owe money to your tax authorities, or you owe it to the owners who are the providers of capital. So it's always about what you own and who do you owe it to and how much are you making in terms of operations. And of course, generating cash, because if you can't generate cash, it means you are eating in your cash ability and uh, you will run out of business soon. So who are your customers becomes very key in terms of income and who are the people who are helping you generate this income becomes your staff and various other service providers. And these are key. So it's management of, of human capital as well as the assets and liabilities.
0: Give us a picture of how a typical balance sheet for a bank looks like.
1: A typical balance sheet uh, you would look at for a bank and, and the financial institution because you're looking at bank being a subsidiary and you have other subsidiaries in the financial service space like insurance and uh, asset management and the likes. Generally, you would have your assets. You target to have the highest uh, yielding asset. By yield, I mean the asset that generates the highest risk. And that for a bank will be loans. And you look at loans in terms of management of risk. Who am I giving these loans to? And the ability to repay the loan and the time frame uh, that they're taking the loan uh, for. Then as you're analyzing your pipeline and you're looking at, at the growth prospect, you will then have your excess liquidity invested into the next type of asset, the lowest yield category of asset. In our market, you'd have the government securities and the like. So corporate bills and bonds. They also generate good returns. They are usually short term because we are saying because they are giving you a lower yield, you would want to wait for a good pipeline and you not want to lose on those opportunities. You also have the requirement to hold cash for your day-to-day operation, a customer who wants to come uh, to withdraw. So good management of your liquidity on a day-to-day basis uh, is also extremely important. On the liability side, so the balance sheet will be made up of asset, liability and equity. On the liability side, customer deposits, as a bank, you are an intermediary. You are managing deposit, which is a customer fund, giving it to other people who need it. So, for example, you'd have your current account with, uh, with us and we will invest it in loans because we know generally that you will be making your payment with a particular pattern and uh, we will mostly bank the value chain. So even when money moves from one current account, it goes to another. So you manage the liquidity uh, from customer deposit with also some good relationship on banks' deposit. So banks generally also hold money for other banks. So you have uh, liquidity from other banks. Then you go for your payable, so people you owe money in the near future. Those are usually people who have offered you services or delivered goods. Those will be suppliers. It will be... um. Tax payments that are due and so forth, like everyone like every other company, so you have your liability in form of other payable account in transit will be another so as money as is yet to clear to a client uh, current account, you'd have it sitting in a transit account as a payable and the the least uh, the last on the balance sheet will be your shareholders' equity which is the capital that was injected initially for you to start business, in addition to what you have made uh, historically, which is your reserve and return uh, earnings. And these are generally uh, common across uh, most uh, banks' balance sheets. You would have what is usually referred to as off-balance sheet item, in case mostly of financial institutions. So a loan will be something that is on the balance sheet because Money has moved hands. So it has moved from the bank to a client as a commitment to a client account. The off-balance sheet will generally be promises that you've made to your client that you will honour in the future. So these will be generally in forms of LCs, bank guarantee. So future commitments, you will hold them as off-balance sheet. And these are generally what you find common for a bank balance sheet. So you have the on-balance sheet, off-balance sheet items, asset and liability alike.
0: Great. That's a really good introduction to the financials of a bank. You realize they're quite different from the normal kind of institutions that you deal with out there because the customer deposits are basically a liability for them and loans and advances are the assets for the bank. What are the kind of quick things that if you were to maybe take hold of a financial statement of a bank that you really pay attention to when you want to see what's the health of a bank looking like?
1: Yeah, quick one on the balance sheet. You look at how concentrated uh, are the classes of assets. Generally for us, you'd find we have about 65 to 70% range of our asset is held in loans. When this uh, ratio is very low, it means we are losing an opportunity of making higher income. And that means, of course, we are being inefficient. If you see, for example, a bank here in Kenya giving more uh, to government securities, it means their investment in loans will be lower. So you look at uh, the asset uh, classes. You will also look at the quality of those assets. For the case of loan, you quickly uh, turn into a page where you have the non-performing loan ratio. So when you are giving a loan, of course, you are taking a certain level of risk. And these are usually measured uh, by how many people have so far defaulted. And that is what I'm I'm referring to as non-performing loan. And the lower the number, the better uh, quality the loan book is. So the same will go with if I'm investing in securities, are they government security? Are they uh, local versus foreign government uh, holding for you to just manage how much risk the bank is taking? how much is is being held in cash because you can see also performance efficiency uh, gains in how much cash uh, a bank is holding. So if it's holding too much cash, you know the risk of losses are greater and also they're not earning any income on this cash because they're holding them in vault or in the ATMs. You will also look at other metrics like their capability to generate more cash because yes, it's fine to have 65% of your asset in loans but how would you tomorrow satisfy a growing need of a customer if you are not growing your customer deposit so we look at share growth as something that has to be sustainable so how are you growing uh, with the competition in your market so in the case of bk for example we we have um, strong market leadership where you have seen us maintain 30 plus across uh, the, the market share for loans for total assets customer deposits and uh, the shareholders' equity. So you are not only generating more, you are holding it uh, for more business uh, growth, and you are also uh, satisfying your shareholders because uh, they're not asking for this money back too much. So you look at um, return on equity uh, being key ratios for for banks, uh, and that generally has to be above ratios such as your cost of capital, and that's your cost of equity, your your cost of borrowing, you want to look at stable margins. Um, so if you are, you are uh, um, targeting loans and investment in, in various securities, how much are you paying the depositors? The good balance will mean what you are retaining as margin is also strong and it's growing. So that's also something that uh, you've seen, let's say, in the past uh, in the Kenyan market, where there's been interest rate cap. If you've, you have given your deposit attractive interest uh, rate, it means you may not have any margin in terms of profitability and uh, sustaining your operation uh, expenses. So, generally, you look at asset quality, you look at the split um, and efficient management of your, your asset weight, and also your margins uh, generally, and how, satisf- uh, how satisfied are your shareholders. In terms of return, uh, long-term uh, return that they have, which is uh, the ROE, you'd also look for a listed entity like BK. You look at the performance of their stock uh, trading. And uh, for example, for us being listed on the sto- on the Nairobi Stock Exchange and the and the Rwanda Stock Exchange, how are how are uh, people perceiving our stock? Are they buying, or it's completely dormant? And if we are doing very well, you would generally translate into better prices uh, in this market.
0: Great. That was a really good introduction, at least in banks. And now that you've laid a good ground for it, you can tell us how did BK Group perform in Q3, looking at some of the key ratios that you've just mentioned in terms of ROE, net income. How was it in Q3 this year?
1: We've been actually discussing this since last week. Our ROE and margin remain quite strong. So we've had another strong quarter. When you look at uh, quarter two, performance has improved uh, compared to year on year because of COVID uh, challenges that we had this time last year. So we are looking at ROE coming back to the level before COVID and asset quality actually improving. So our return on average equity, which is the ROE, is now at 182 you would see some other banks in the continent at 14% range. So it means our shareholders are getting much more than the shareholders of the other uh, bank. Then you look at uh, our efficiency in terms of return for total assets. Our return on average assets, or, or our return on assets, is, is uh, close to, uh, so in the range of 3.3% 3, 3. Uh, to 3.5%. And this is also good uh, uh, comparative when you look at other banks. So, how much are you uh, getting in terms of profitability for the asset that you're investing? Asset quality, um, our, net, uh, our non-performing loans are uh, now currently at uh, 6.2%. So, out of all the loans that we have given to date or that uh, our client owe us, we have only 6.2% in default. And that at times you look at it not only client defaulting, but also additional information you have uh, to downgrade a client. So 6.2 is single digit when you compare to other markets at the moment with uh, the 10 plus. You'd see BK performance as quite strong uh, in a market that's growing uh, and has a lot of opportunity. And you look at uh, other. Um, other um, Key ratios will be NIM, our NIM, uh, which is a net interest margin, and the difference that is the difference between our interest income and our interest expense. Uh, the margin uh, that we are making currently has been quite stable at around 10.5%. And that means we have strong relationship in terms of the inflows and also what we are paying out to the customer. You look at current uh, uh, the recent crisis that uh, did put pressure on liquidity, or we anticipated actually the was. We were remunerating a bit higher, uh, although at times you cannot go back and rep- uh, reprice your loans. So managing a good liquidity, it means even any uh, excess cash that you have, you are making sure it is working very hard. You're investing them as early as possible and getting the benefits um, in, your, in your income statement quite early on. So we also look at uh, things like cost to income ratio. Cost to income ratio is an efficiency ratio that shows how much uh, of how much we are we are paying for the income that we are generating, and that of course the biggest chunk will be your staff cost. Um, your cost, our cost to income ratio is currently the lowest uh, I've I've actually seen at thirty five percent, and even when you combine it with our loan loss provision, which is uh, usually measured with cost of risk. We have an elevated cost of risk. Um, so how much we, lo- we provide for bad loans um, that I mentioned earlier, which is 6.2%. We have the highest cost of risk at uh, 3.7, coming down from uh, 4.5 in December last year. This, when you combine it with our, cost, our lowest cost-to-income ratio, we are still doing much better than our competitors. We are below 60% uh, for these two ratios combined. And when uh, you compare it also with the regional banks, uh, we are doing much better. So we are very happy when you look at efficiency ratio, liquidity ratios, very, uh, um, you know, performing quite well, 40 plus range for liquidity ratios. So that's our total liquid assets on uh, total deposits. So our ability and the confidence that the customer should have today, if they need their money, they know they would have it uh, accessible at no time. It's because we are holding liquid assets to a level 40%. The regulatory requirement on this was 20 percent, and we are holding double this level. And the same with another uh, key liquidity ratio, which is your um, LCR. The regulatory requirement is 100 percent. We are currently at close to 200 percent. So we do push for having liquid assets to give comfort to our customers, to serve our customers better and to pay uh, our obligations. So that's uh, one other thing. Asset growth, so for, uh, to maintain and grow your market share, you need to grow faster than the market generally. Uh, of course, it's way attractive for, for a market like ours that's uh, still in developing state. BK is doing 28.5%. If you look at inflation uh, level, in the, at macro level, we are quite low. It's, uh, so it means generally uh, the banking sector is, uh, for the year to date, we've done about 12% growth of total assets. BK returning 28.5 means we're doing much better than uh, the whole market, which, which can only translate into uh, increased market share so those basically i would say are the the highlight for our nine months we are increasing our market share we are we are targeting new business line uh we are revamping and, and improving our capabilities to serve uh, our client better and that's in form of system investment training for our staff and the likes so we are looking at coming up with new digital um product that will make even sure that those that are currently not our client because they are not uh, easily reachable, will be reached uh, over the telephone like uh, you see with the telco models.
0: With that much liquidity in the bank, though, uh, how do you guys think about in terms of paying dividends uh, to investors? How does that work and what's your dividend history and how does that look like going forward?
1: Thank you. Um, so far, since we we initially listed in the Wanda Stock Exchange in 2011, we pay dividend or we we target to at least achieve an annual dividend payment um and that we've done uh, quite well i remember it being as low as uh, i think 11 francs uh, per share today we are looking at a prospect of doing 26 francs per share um for next year so we am looking at our target being consistent growth um and this is this is uh, comparable to other market one and two, you look at uh, other other invest uh, investment uh, instruments that clients are generally, uh, you know, investing in, which will be deposits are remunerated annually. Some are even remunerated quarterly. So, uh, Securities such as T bills and bonds have coupon uh, payments twice a year. So for you to attract retail in a growing market, uh, growing capital market like ours you kind of want to have a a strong and consistent dividend uh, payout ratio. So, in the past, we've been uh, maintaining this within 50% range, um, reducing it at times when we have the need to grow our businesses elsewhere. We have reduced this to the likes of 30%. Uh, Now, this current year, we had uh, no dividend declared for 2020, so we are planning to pay out 50% of the current year. So our objective is our shareholders, like uh, all our stakeholders, have to be happier year on year, and they should be getting um, higher return, uh, whether you look at it from a and funk perspective or in any, because we have shareholders from different markets, uh, those that are foreign, international, uh, regional shareholders. You want their investment to yield higher return. But in addition to dividend, what shareholders ought to look at most is the value that's being created. So our book value per share has grown significantly. It's now over 300 francs uh, per share. So when you look at what is um, the value for the shareholders, it's not only what is being traded in the market, but it's also what we owe the shareholders as a capital uh, that is attributable to them uh, at any time in the future.
0: Maybe one more thing that you could comment about is the gap between the book value per share, which is around (laughs) 300 and uh, I think on... BK trades around 250, so it's trading at below uh, book value per share in Rwanda. What do you think about that gap and how can that be closed going forward?
1: Yes, the gap is something that, uh, you know, it's like going to the market. The value is driven by supply and demand. So our book value is generally what you are holding for your shareholder. So you make, uh, you know, good profit this year. You remove your dividend payment; the rest is is uh, retained in your reserves for shareholders, in addition to what they had initially invested. But the market uh, price is driven by who is who want to sell and whether there is a buyer. When you have the two, generally don't have to go uh, hand in hand because one is driven by the pressure in the market, so it will be what investors foresee and what they need. You could find investors desperately need to sell because of other commitment that they have. And if they don't find a buyer at their optimum uh, price, they will have to sell at whichever price the buyer is willing to, to pay. So you, the market dynamics are generally driven by supply and demand. And in a market like ours in Rwanda, liquidity is still something that... By liquidity, I mean we don't have many people daily... Trading in stock, we still see the saving culture is uh, quite low. People prefer to hold T bills and bonds, which is government security. They are perceived risk is very low, and others are preferring to hold money in their current account because they have the education about capital market has still a lot um, of opportunities in it. You compare it to the likes of Kenyan uh, side, where we've seen our price reach its highest at around forty Kenyan shillings which translates to close to 400, which was above our book value when you look at it at the time it peaked. Again, this was uh, driven by the demand on the side of the Kenyan market. The more investors interact with the issuer and they get more uh, comfort and they understand more the fundamentals, the price generally goes higher but it means also the book value may be going in line. The gap may, may narrow, but the two are, are driven by different uh, factors.
0: All right, maybe one more thing that I wanted to ask is about the breakdown of uh, NPL. So you could also comment a little bit about the sectors that you're more concentrated in, in the markets, the number of subsidiaries you have and the group's total revenue, where it comes from from these subsidiaries, because BK Group is a holding group and then you have companies below them. So maybe you could tell us how that uh, works.
1: Thank you. Um, In terms of subsidiaries, BK Group is a pure holding company, currently uh, listed and uh, consolidate four subsidiaries, the largest being the bank uh, subsidiary in existence since for many years, over 50 plus years. We were mostly a corporate bank. So when you look at uh, segment, you'd have uh, BK has large concentration on on corporate uh, segment. However, since uh, five uh, to 10 years, We are now looking at retail and SME strategy and fully deploying this for digitization. You have the second largest subsidiary, which is the BK General Insurance. It is uh, still an insurance offering fire, motor, and the likes. Also growing Greenfield. So we started the company in 2017. Now returning, you know, very close to, we're now over 10B of assets. So the bank has a trillion worth of assets when you look at assets for the banking business. The second largest uh, subsidiary has about 12 uh, to 15 billion range. And the most recent addition being BK Capital, which is asset management, brokerage, advisory, uh, subsidiary. Still small because it's not heavy on asset holding in terms of balance sheet holding, but managing quite well in terms of asset under management. So you'd see that uh, they are Asset under management to go year to date by 81%. We manage the MTN listing and and the likes. So we are looking at a lot of opportunity in advisory and financial um, investment. A recent um, a vehicle that's money market fund that was um, set up by BK Capital Aguka, uh, giving very attractive return at 10% uh, plus. Investment available at almost no no notice for retail and in less than a month for corporate client means this is a, a, a subsidiary that has huge potential in the future, going even into the region faster than the other subsidiaries. We have the technologies that really focusing on creating digital eco ecosystems. By that I mean most of uh, the transactions that are currently being done manually should be done digitally in the future to retain. To sustain the future, you're looking at how much data sharing is taking place, how much do you know your customer, to offer various products and to bank the volumes. So for us to reach about 90% plus uh, banked population, you really want to, to think about digitization in a different way. So our subsidiary is looking at going into, more into that space, more at the moment we've identified two ecosystems that we are working on it's the agriculture, which has almost 2,500,000 farmers that are collecting subsidies for our platform, working with various authorities to get, of course, to leverage on this, to digitize this ecosystem. Then you have also the education system. In the past, you would recall parents going to queue in a bank to make payment for the school fees, to receive results from the schools. You need to go see a teacher. Today, these things can be digitized. You can collect not only data, but also the parents and the students alike have controls and the school have controls over the various platforms. Internet banking being one of them from the bank perspective, but also, you know, education system also can softwares and systems will revamp things. So sales on our subsidiary for tech grew by 51%. So that's a big chunk. When you look at the other question that you had on our NPL by segment, we still have the two sectors that we are targeting with opportunities that we see, SMEs and retail. This By SMEs, I mean small, medium enterprise, and these are where the future is. Generally, you'd find uh, banking them traditionally with them coming to the branch for their deposits, you can't bank the value chain. So there's opportunity in banking, growing the SME numbers to improve asset quality. So NPLs for SMEs high because the numbers are still from the traditional banking route. We're looking at digitization to get the larger volume banked and also offer them services that can give us intel in terms of uh, how do we manage asset quality, reduce probability of default and so forth. On the retail side, also, we still get, you know, the to, to underwrite a retail loan, you have to go through a process. Relationship management is quite expensive in terms of close monitoring of retail per book performance. So NPLs in these two sectors, in these two segments in double digits, when you compare it with large corporate where we have huge volume, and their NPL are below 5%. So we are seeing volume as the key uh, growth area in the future. However, within these sectors, banking the value chain for SMEs, and then for retail, offering some digital products that will be driven by data and credit scoring that are digitized as opposed to looking at a customer who came uh, in the branch and applied for a loan. So in terms of sectors that we are financing, we have a good spread. On the corporate book, you have transport and communication being quite a significant portion at around 18%. You have hotel and restaurant, so that's in the service uh, sectors, close to 17%. Commerce, trade in the 13% range. And other activities like manufacturing, energy, that has huge potential to grow agriculture. I mentioned it earlier that are still in single digits. So we have a good spread in terms of sectors that we are financing with uh, average around five years in terms of term and mostly concentrated on the large corporate clients.
0: That's a really good introduction. So two questions. Looking through your history, you did a rights issue in 2018 and also tried to do a share buyback. Could you maybe comment on those two and maybe lessons and reflections? that you have around those.
1: Yes, you're right. After the the initial public offering on the Rwandan Stock Exchange, we looked for liquidity by cross-listing. So we raised capital in 2018, 60 million and cross-listed on the Nairobi Stock Exchange. Mostly uh, due to the fact that liquidity in our market is still very low. By liquidity, I mean the Rwandan Stock Exchange. We have various investors who are fund managers across the border who could not access our stock in Rwanda due to uh, the level of development so we don't have a good custodian relationship because for them to buy they need to buy for a custody arrangement and uh, that's generally uh, a requirement from various uh, countries to manage risks of funds flowing from one country to another. So in Kenya, there were many custody uh, set up. So most of the investors that uh, we're targeting have custody arrangement in, in uh, Nairobi you know, Stock Exchange, and uh, we could cross-list and they had access to our stock. On the Kenyan side, also, are well advanced in terms of capital market investment. We're also seeing good interest picking up since the listing. So the share buyback discussion we had in the uh, last year was mostly driven by the fact that COVID hit just after we raised capital. So it means we could not roll over our strategy because of COVID. So we had a lockdown, we had a pipeline that dried up in terms of growth in our projected growth in our loan book. And the stock on the Nairobi Stock Exchange, more specifically, was the lowest. We were trading at around 12 Kenya shillings when you compare to the recent high at 40 Kenya shillings. It meant if we were allowed to buy these shares, because we raised on the Nairobi Stock Exchange at around 30 Kenya shillings, it means we are getting it even less than half what the shareholders paid for. We would have held this money for as a treasury stock until post-COVID, where we will need the capital back. So that was our intention. However, the current regulation did not allow it. So if you buy your own stock, you need to cancel them. Given that we anticipate to deploy this capital in the near future, we did not proceed with the share buyback. However, it's something that is common in other markets. You can buy stock, hold them for a short period before you go back to the market and sell them as treasury stock. This was not allowed on the Rwandan Stock Exchange. Being the primary, we, we could not proceed uh, with the action.
0: A few questions that are coming from the audience. How do you record the fees that customers pay for services rendered? And how big are they as percentage of uh, income on your books?
1: Our non-funded income, we call it non-funded income to refer to fees and commissions. The two bigger ones will be, when you look at fees, fees will be from the banking subsidiary, will be what we are charging the customer, mostly payment platform fees and also loan-related fees. But you also have from the subsidiary, you have commission that we're charging, like premiums uh, on the insurance subsidiary and the likes. So we have about 21% of our income at the moment as non-funded. And non-funded, it's not loans related or deposit, net of deposit. So we have uh, a target to do about 25, 30% range. Uh, in other markets, you see, quite achievable, markets that are quite mature in terms of digitization. They can collect very small fees on a bigger uh, platform in terms of volume of trade. uh, You have good fees generation. For us, we are still developing the market. It's quite difficult to apply the fees because this could hold people outside uh, the banking system. So we are looking at a target of around 25% but at the moment we are 21 and these are fees from the bank but another big component being a market that is a net importer you have transactions that you deal with in fx so fx revenue also a big component of our non-funded income and that's uh, generally the target is to go to level 15 20 percent year on year so that means the customer who comes today to buy foreign currencies and the uh, people you buy foreign currencies from, you make a margin, and this is something that you have a, a target to go to the range of 10 to 15 percent uh, a year.
0: Do you fund projects? I know like Rwanda is very big on green projects. There's a lot of initiatives around electric vehicles, green investments, and also I think I've seen a couple of electric bikes because the, the greater the environment is very conducive for that in Rwanda. So do you fund some of these projects or are you very conservative in terms of maybe funding investments like this?
1: We are definitely not conservative when you look at opportunities that comes. We, we structure very uh, unique deals at the moment. So anything that will come in Rwanda, you would find a strong partner in Bank of Kigali. So we would go out of our way to understand how best to structure a product. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. If it has worked elsewhere, if it has been financed elsewhere, we will work uh, with various uh, teams in the company to manage the risk. It's always about managing your risk well, pricing it well, and uh, monitoring after you've you've deployed the, the cash for a good return and repayment.
0: I think at this point I'd ask you more personal question, like what kind of advice would you give someone who wants to start out in your profession in terms of being a CFO? What kind of things should they know and what should they prepare themselves with to get to the level at which you are right now?
1: Thanks. This is uh very interesting because I would say if they want to be a CFO, they need to believe that they already know that numbers don't lie and that feelings can change. So when you look at your numbers closely, they generally tell you a story that, you know, it's, you can rely on. So follow your passion in terms of, if you're a number person, follow your passion, go into the details. So attention to details is quite key. When I look at what I've learned, it's like a journey. It's, you start really from the root. You look at the basics, get your basics right. Target to do well, what you're doing and the numbers will come out and they will give you a beautiful story if there is anything beautiful or they will definitely signal when there are signs of issues and warning coming up so if you are passionate about number follow your passion target to do it well have the highest level of integrity and uh, strong leadership is of course key walk the talk get ready to roll up your sleeves and get the work done as opposed to waiting for it to be done for you
0: we have a friend of the show here kevin you had a question maybe or comment Yes, thanks, Eric, and uh, thanks, Natalie. I joined quite late. I'm sorry, not sure if this was covered, but I know one of the issues that has has been boggling BK is the weighted average cost of capital. Maybe you could talk us through this.
1: Thank you, Kevin, and welcome on the call. Our cost of capital, you look at it uh, twofold. So we have the cost of debt because we do have some uh, level of debt. Although small, you're looking at long-term finance. The cost of long-term finance is in the range of 8 to 9%. You have the short-term deposit from other banks, also remunerated, and also the cost of customer deposit. I would say on the general liability side, you have a debt, if you call it debt, including uh, liability for customers, you would go in at around 8%. Then you'd come and look at your cost of capital being your cost of equity to get a weighted average. And generally, the cost of equity, which is something uh, the shareholders pay attention to, and it's generally how well is the return when you look at uh, other opportunity for investment that uh, the shareholders have for their capital. They will start with the risk-free rate, which is in our market around 13%, and add a risk premium based on the institution and the market environment that they operate in. So for us, if you look at risk-free rates of return at around 13, you add maybe a risk premium, looking at the recent borrowing for government, maybe at 6, 7%. We generally say for a premium bank like ours, would have around 16% cost of equity. So you're looking at weighted, so 18 to 16%, then weighted average coming in slightly lower at around 15, 16% range. When you compare to your borrowing, so debt finance and your cost of equity.
0: Thanks a lot, Natalie. And maybe one more thing. Uh, I think we've spoken before, and one of the things that you and BK in general were looking to do is generally increase liquidity. You've gone quite some strides in in doing that, and that includes cross-listing into Nairobi. But I know some of your anchor shareholders were looking to sell their stock just generally to increase liquidity. Is there any more, or are there advances on this already?
1: Yes, there are discussion ongoing. You're actually right. We have been talking about this for a couple of years. The first move was to cost list That means opening doors to new relationships across the border. And that has been quite well. It's like early days of dating. We are seeing quite good retail uh, uptake on the Nairobi side. But there are other things that we think should happen uh, to increase uh, float trading between the two markets. So connectivity of the market in terms of, you know, we have the CSD where you hold uh, these shares on the Rwandan side or Kenyan side. If this could be automated in terms of connectivity, it will mean you can actually find a buyer in Rwanda today or a seller in Rwanda today and transact on the Kenyan side and vice versa so having real-time connectivity of the exchanges will make liquidity uh, will be a plus a big plus for liquidity when you look at our shareholder category we have long-term investors so people like pension funds and so forth they're generally in for the long term so they don't do day-to-day trading so having a good mix in terms of long-term and short-term because the short-term will be the ones that are creating the market buy today sell tomorrow and having more of those it means tomorrow you will buy when i'm when i'm exiting so basically having some day-to-day arbitrage will also mean better liquidity for the stock and availability of big block can only be improved when you have good connectivity between the two exchanges
0: Uh, maybe a final one on the regulatory environment are there any changes or risks
1: None at the moment. I see some stability on both uh, sides. We have a rep office in uh, a representative office in Nairobi, so we don't. We are now in Nairobi meeting various regulators. We have not heard or seen any uh, signal that things are, are likely going to change significantly. On the one hand, side also quite proactive in terms of engagement with the central bank. We try and the development in terms of regulation, when you look at we have we are Basel 2, II, Basel 3 compliant, we are quite ahead in terms of implementing this fast, IFRS 9 compliant and so forth. So we don't see any significant change on the regulatory and prudential requirement.
0: Thank you very much, Yenseli. Over to you, Eric.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: How does cross-listing work in terms of share price? Is there a discrepancy between the share price in Rwanda and the one in Kenya? Uh, and how does that usually look like for you?
1: Although the volume is still quite low when you compare to our peers, you still see retail coming in and getting out. Again, the two don't have to be the same, although and the gap shouldn't be big because then you get other opportunities or other interests like arbitrage. You can buy here and sell in, uh, in the other market. But uh, generally, the price in one market is defined by the supply and demand. So if you have more people wanting to sell, generally it means that the price will go down because the buyer will now know that i have an option of driving the market down you are desperate to exit i will offer you lower than the market and they will go gradually at uh, getting at it so if a, a buyer wants to come in desperately because they see opportunity and they cannot find a seller generally the price will go up irrespective of the market they're in because as we said at the moment There is fungibility, so it will take a couple of days for you to move stock from Rwanda to Nairobi or vice versa. However, it will deter. If, for example, I saw value in BK stock and I want to place an order, if it will take me five days to get a buyer to move their stock that they want to sell from the Rwandan side to the Kenyan side, it means by the time maybe they move it, price has moved. So my interest would have moved also. So it becomes one thing that uh, the market should address for you to see real-time uh, movement and uh, an investment choice. At the moment, though, you are seeing buyers and sellers in one market. So for you to sell on the Nairobi side, you uh, to sell quick on the Nairobi side, you will have an, an account on the Nairobi Stock Exchange, and the seller will also sell to you quickly if they have an account in the Nairobi uh, Stock Exchange. And on the one hand side, the same. When you have a buyer and seller in the same market, the transaction can close and settle faster. We are engaging with various uh, stakeholders to make these two exchanges connect better and have now transactions flowing from Rwanda to Nairobi almost real time and flowing easily.
0: I think at this point, I can give you to uh, maybe give us your closing words and any final words of advice. We hope to also host you again after Q4. You can still keep giving us this kind of insights into <laughs> banks' financials. So, your closing words, and then we will be able to close for today.
1: Thank you, Mokai and the Mongo Capital team for hosting this. This is the first time for me also to have a call on Twitter, and it has been quite exciting. So I look forward to more discussion in this space, and and I like the discussion, the way they've gone. It's quite basic in terms of anyone. You don't have to be an investor in BK to pick interest, and we, we look forward to doing more in this space. Key thing is, hold what we are doing well and keep doing them well until we meet. Thank you so
0: much. Thank you, Kevin, for coming by. I hope to see all of you on Friday during our normal Twitter spaces. See you on Friday and take care. Bye.